the real upsides of podcasting is being forced to hear yourself makes you realize, you know, what, what a jerk you might sound like to the rest of the world and, and hopefully do some things to mitigate that. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Boss man, are you audible? I'm audible. Okay. Are you holding your mic these days? I don't hold my mic anymore. Wow. I've, I've attained a new level. What do you do? Do you make hand gestures now as you're talking? I have an automated system for holding my mic for me. And when we rename this podcast, I'm going to get one of those little radio squares that goes around my microphone. See, most people these days that just start a podcast, that's the first thing they do. You're like five years in and you haven't done this yet. So I'm kind of impressed by that. I'm making gestures. I'm gesturing like crazy right now. You don't even... It's pretty unbelievable. You're going to have like a signature pencil or something that you hold? I take notes occasionally on the things that okay. excite me about what you're saying. And I'm holding the pen, which is a great pen. A Milan P1 Touch. I uh, highly recommend it. Speaking of renaming the podcast, we're getting an insane amount of response from the audience. I'm really impressed. I did not expect so many people to suggest some wonderful names, some which we are actively considering. So that's very cool. If you haven't heard, you can uh, click on over to the website, check out our most recent podcast, and you'll have an opportunity to help us rename this show. The winner gets a $1,500 check from the boss man himself or via PayPal, whatever's more convenient. I assume they'll take the PayPal option. I think PayPal. <laughs> Today's episode, it's about a simple idea, Ian, is what if you could take your curiosity and energy for a topic and turn it into a profitable business, a serious business. And what I mean by that is, let's forget about degrees. Let's forget about being qualified. Let's forget about having enough money or knowing the right people. What if you could just take your interest in something and some elbow grease and a willingness to inform others or solve the problems of others and grow a business that funds the lifestyle of your family or just your crazy single person lifestyle, whatever it is you decide. Hmm. Hmm. I'm interested. <laughs> I'm interested. So this episode all came from a dream that we both had, actually. I wrote you an email. This is weird. Yeah. Why don't we just talk about it? What the hell? I sent you an email and I said, hey, last night I was walking around thinking, what's going on with Jesse Lawler? If you click back through our episodes and we'll link to it, Jesse was a business partner of ours and he's been on the show a few times before. Yeah, we were developing a little piece of software, and Jesse, he has a development team, and he was our partner in that. Yeah, he was a successful dev shop, I think is what you'd call it. So I wrote you an email, and I say, we should call up Jesse and have a catch-up episode on the podcast. And here's your response. Lol. See, you're still young. Lol. Lol. <laughs> Wait, did I put a Z at the end? <laughs> you just said lol. No shit. Last night, had the same thought. And went to his site. So you went to his site. I went to his site. I listened to two episodes of the Smart Drug Smarts podcast, which is blowing up. And we're going to talk about that a little bit on today's episode. Wait, did he have the same dream? Was this a three-way? No, this is not a three-way. One hour later, oh. I'm on Twitter and Smart Drug Smarts podcast tags us. 
And I'm like, this is some AI advanced Google targeting that's targeting our dreams and our emails, selling it to Twitter. What do you think? Does that exist? Is that a real thing? Yeah, I think it might be. (laughs) (laughs) Today's guest is none other than our friend Jesse Lawler. He is the host and founder of Smart Drug Smarts. It's a show about how to improve your health, your cognition, and your mental performance. It's really a fascinating show, and he's super well-produced. After the astronauts are back on Earth, they readapt. They don't get cleared to drive a car right away. They have to go through a couple of weeks of physical therapy. What we don't know is whether that means the brain has recovered. Charge up your axons, ready your receptors, and shift your lobes into upper beta phase. You are listening to Smart Drug Smarts, the podcast dedicated to helping you optimize your brain with the latest breakthroughs in neuroscience, nootropics, and psychopharmacology. But on today's episode, we're going to talk about how Jesse, he didn't have a PhD in medicine. He didn't have anything really specific to start in this business other than a genuine and sustaining desire to explore these issues. And where he's gotten has been amazing. You know, Ian, you look through his catalog of podcasts, he's speaking with world-renowned experts on the topic. What's interesting for me is that Jesse has done and been so many places. He was in film and movie. He was a dev shop. And then now he's producing a podcast on smart drugs and increasing your cognitive ability. And you know, he's calling people that are uh, scientists, have PhDs. And Jesse... Didn't ever go through that track. Yeah, now they're calling him, by the way. So I think it just goes to show, A, number one, how smart Jesse is, and then B, how you don't have to have permission to do this kind of stuff, how you don't have to have a degree to do this kind of stuff. You just have to have a genuine curiosity and interest. Yeah, nothing's holding you back. This is the opportunity that sits before us, you know? I feel a little bit like about this conversation, the way I felt about when I first met Jesse. We were at a seminar that we were hosting in the Philippines. This is a long time ago. And I remember it was a lot of new entrepreneurs starting their first business. And Jesse attended, even though at the time he had and still does have a successful software business. So I was getting up on stage to give a presentation about how we started the show. Stage, by the way, was a patio. It was a patio. In front of the beach, yeah. I don't, I don't want to give people the <laughs> illusion that you're on some kind of big stage with lighting and stuff like that. <laughs> I remember thinking specifically ah, man, it sucks for the successful software guy that he's got to sit here for 30 minutes and hear me waffle about starting podcasts and how it works. And sure enough, he was the one that it connected with. Yeah, in the room, he probably has now the most successful podcast. For sure. And that includes ours, right? So there are so many listeners of this podcast that have been inspired to go out and start a show or a blog or a newsletter There's all different ways you can do this, right? This is not just about podcasting. That have been inspired to go out and address hungry marketplaces with their sustainable interests and they've made it work. Part of the reason I tell the story is because this conversation is about so many things, but mostly it's about Jesse's story. And I hope that those of you who stick around will find something in it that will inspire you to tell your own. What might be the most impressive to me, Dan, is that before doing this podcast, Jesse spent five days depriving himself of food. And I couldn't even imagine opening the door without eating for 30 minutes. Like that's... I can't make it five hours. (laughs) That's where my (laughs) mind goes. 
Show notes, links, everything you want to talk about about this episode is posted at tropicalmba.com slash curiosity. So I started this conversation by asking Jesse about the current status of the Smart Drug Smarts podcast. We're coming up on five years old. The actual five-year publication birthday will be this November. So, um, yeah, it's getting pretty long in the tooth in, in the world of podcasts and coming up <laughs> on 200 episodes, which feels really good and really, really weird, I guess, to have something that substantial under my belt as sort of a creative endeavor. It's definitely the biggest single thing that I've ever done in my life. Yeah, about two years ago and also two years into doing the podcast, I actually decided to monetize it. The first couple of years, it was just an, an expensive hobby project. It was something I liked doing enough that I wanted to basically find a way of making it pay for itself and if possible, even be profitable so I could justify putting more time into it, You know, basically the level of time into it that I am now which wouldn't have been reasonable you know, without something like that. So yeah, formed up a company called Axon Labs, which sells a couple of supplement stacks, probably will be selling at least one more by the end of this year, and have had those two you know, entities, the podcast and the supplement company, tied together for the last couple of years now. What's a supplement stack? Nutritional supplement is you know anything from like a Flintstones multivitamin to basically anything that you can buy over the counter, something that you could buy in like GNC Fitness or GNC Nutrition, whatever they call that those sorts of stores. And stacking is sort of a term used within the physical health or biohacker field, which is basically just means putting a bunch of compounds together and taking them all at once. Jesse, let's talk about that a little bit later on. If we can, I'd like to time warp back to before this five-year journey and try to get a sense for why you thought podcasting was an opportunity for you. You weren't at the time, a renowned or known expert on this topic? Not at all. You had a successful business going. Do you remember what connection was made in your mind that you were like, I could be a podcaster? I'm not just blowing smoke when I say that you and Ian were like a giant part of this sort of conceptual leap for me. But yeah, I was working in the film industry in Los Angeles throughout the early 2000s. And basically when the financial crisis hit, all of a sudden, independent film, just the financial bottom fell out of that. People had just like lost all their investment money. As a film producer down there, I kept doing what I'd been you know, trained to do and was knocking on doors and trying to raise funds for you know, most of 2009 and 2010. And just, you know, you can only get doors slammed in your faces so many times before you're like, I've got to get out of this industry. Luckily, I knew from my actual, you know, collegiate training how to program software. And so I kind of bowed my head in shame, quit the industry that I thought I was born for and went back to software development. And, and it really sucked. It was like a major conceptual reframing. You know, starting in 2011 is like I, I put up the placard and all of a sudden I had a development company. And I mean, it really saved my skin because I'm not sure what I would have done if I didn't have that skill set sort of in the back pocket. But on the other hand, it was never creatively fulfilling for me. I mean, I was doing software work there for probably well over a year before the light bulb went on as a result of your podcast that, holy shit, I could be doing this from anywhere. There's lots of parts of the world I haven't seen. What the hell am I doing in this place that I've, I already know the city? It's like I've, I've got a good group of friends and blah, blah, blah. There's lots of things I like about it. And yet, you know, if I you know leave town for two years, LA is still going to be here when I get back. 
that was kind of my thinking. And so in 2012, I really started traveling and at the same time was binge listening to your podcast episodes and some other podcasts that were out there and thinking, what a cool medium this is. And it also occurred to me that it seemed like an art form that, you know, A, I had some skills for because I had a background in the film industry and it was kind of like film without the the image. B, it seemed like something that as opposed to film, which had a huge price tag to kind of, you know, initiate something. This was something that if, you know, with the laptop I already had and a microphone, theoretically I could be in production and see it was something that I could do while traveling. And so the, the combination of all those things really just sort of seemed interesting to me. Like then the question became, okay, what is a topic that is actually going to be something that I want to stick with? Because I was really aware of the fact that, you know, I, I might get burned out and bored at whatever the topic was 10 episodes in. And luckily I, th- I think I not stumbled onto, but I mean, it, it literally, I think I had a spreadsheet. I might still have it of some of the different <laughs> topics I was considering. Well, let's talk about, do you remember what sorts of things you were considering as you were looking at that sheet? I mean, the obvious thing is, well, why didn't you start a podcast about software development or about film production? Film production might have been a good one, actually. Software development, it was because really I, I didn't have the passion there. Although that being said, the fact that I was a software developer is what led me to even knowing smart drugs were a thing and getting into smart drugs. But I'd also always had an interest in you know science and where science is going. And I guess even you know in, in, when I was into film, I was really into science fiction as a film genre and also just an interest in brains and psychology. And I kind of figured that the topic that I wound up settling on, which was you know smart drugs, is something that would probably have you know no lack of future research going on in the near term. People that I could do interviews. I really liked the idea of an interview-based podcast because it took a lot of the pressure off me from having to just expound about stuff that you know I'm not necessarily an expert on for you know one hour a week or whatever it wound up being. You know that's been the story of the show for coming up on five years now, but it's worked really well. And are you up for talking about some sponsors? Let's talk about a company that makes this show possible. Mm. You up for it? I think I know who you're going to talk about. One of the critiques that we receive, Ian, is that we make it sound intimidating to start a business or to get started with entrepreneurship or to build a new and better business. And today's sponsor makes it simple. I'm serious. Today's sponsor is junglescout.com. And Jungle Scout is a suite of tools that basically helps you grow profitable businesses on Amazon. There's hardly an easier way to get started with building a business online, seriously. In the Amazon ecosystem, it's got to be one of the easiest ways to go from nothing to something. If you're sitting there listening to this episode thinking, man, I'd really like to start a better business, I'd like to learn something new, or I'd like to get started with my first business, or if you sell on Amazon, this is a no-brainer. Check out junglescout.com slash TMBA. Basically, Jungle Scout helps you identify profitable products to sell on Amazon. So you don't need to rack your brain. The tool does it for you. Literally, they have a step-by-step guide. They have case studies that show you how to do this. So there's no excuses. There's nothing difficult about it. You just got to head over to junglescout.com slash TMBA, download the guide, check out the case studies, and big thanks to uh, the folks of junglescout.com. And the founder of Jungle Scout's actually been on the show. So if you want to hear a little of the backstory, check out episode 324, the Amazon Gold Rush. A lot of people making money on Amazon, boss man. Are you one of them? I'm very close to a lot of people that are making money on Amazon. I myself have made a few dollars on Amazon, yes, in the past. 
junglescout.com slash TMBA. Check it out. And thanks for helping to make this program possible. When I think about putting myself in your boots, you know, the topic matter about drugs is sort of similar to me to like considering doing a other broad topics like a podcast about the fight against cancer or cancer treatments or a podcast about civil engineering because these are knowledge domains that have professional accreditations and you were just a hobbyist you're not a doctor you're not a phd what was your mindset about like well who am i to be talking about these sorts of topics i figured that as a user and somebody that had a, a, you know, my university degree says I'm a computer science specialist. And so it's like, oh, I'm a scientist, right? I mean, that counts. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, have had and still do have a bit of, you know, credential envy, I guess, from people that have the PhDs or the MDs or things like that after their name. And certainly most of the guests on the show fall into that category. But now that I'm up to almost 200 episodes, that ceases to be as much of a thing. It was really a challenge maybe for the first 40 to 50 episodes just getting people to take my calls because, you know, who the heck is this guy? What, what's a podcast again? You know, that, that kind of thing. But, you know, now that we have, you know, on the webpage, we can send people to that, that we're inviting to be on the show and say, hey, here's some of the past guests we've had. And they see, you know, their colleagues or people that have gotten cited for this or that in academic spheres. That makes it a lot easier for them to say, oh, I guess I should take this thing seriously. And also, a lot of the people that I invite on as guests aren't people that typically get reached out to by the media. And so for some of them, it's kind of a special thing, just like, oh, n- nobody ever asked me about this other than you know, a, a true egghead journalist that you know, maybe isn't going to be writing for the mass public. So it's almost like you're, you've filled this role where like, you're the public advocate for this information that's really difficult to discern. If you're just a layperson, it's funny. Both my parents were teachers, and I never intended to, you know, follow their footsteps into anything like teaching. For one thing, I knew that it didn't pay particularly well. But it's kind of funny. Like almost accidentally, I found myself in something like the role of a teacher, trying to disseminate really hardcore egghead information into something that's a little bit more mass palatable. I kind of view myself as like a link in the chain between you know the, the halls of academic science and the lay public, and trying to you know make sure that what one is saying, the other can understand and make some decisions based on. I think that one thing that's interesting too, when listeners thinking about business opportunities here, is that. You know, this little world of like lifestyle business and location independent stuff is so very small compared to the worlds we're talking about here. Cognitive enhancement, we're going to talk about longevity in a bit. You know, even the topics I just brought up, the battle against cancer or civil engineering. I mean, these are very huge addressable markets. Smart Drug Smarts is 10 times the show in terms of popularity that tropical MBA is. In other words, these opportunities aren't known by the the general public, whereas an idea like cognitive performance can benefit and and is well known to so many people. I kind of worry now that, you know, in the the sigmoidal S-curve of of listener growth, at some point I'm going to run out of eggheads because (laughs) we use a lot of, you know, technical jargon and stuff like that. And I, I sort of try to down convert to a level But on the other hand, it's like if you don't have some sort of basic foundational knowledge in science, you're probably not really going to feel at home there. And like, you know, if I'd been Jesse, the super smart business guy five years ago, I might have thought of maybe making the format a little bit more 
you know, U.S. News and World Report rather than Discover Magazine as far as, you know, how much it's kind of toned down. I mean, I really like where it's at. It's like my show is the kind of show that I would listen to. So it is kind of a scratching my own itch thing. But but I, I do wonder about that. Like if I built myself into something that has a, a ceiling as far as its number of listeners. The flip side to that, though, I will say is that like because a podcast audience becomes sort of a self-selecting crowd of people that like what you're talking about and like the way that you're talking about it, I've got some amazing people that listen to the show and have reached out and some people that have reached out and like say, Hey, I listen to the show and then they become guests on the show. Cause I'm like, Whoa, you're awesome. I can't believe that you know, somebody <laughs> of this stature is actually listening. I mean, I know you've got the same thing with your show. It's just, it's really cool to see the kind of attractor that a media broadcast thing can become given enough time. Now that you're 200 episodes in, if you could warp back and give yourself a consulting session what are some of the things that you had misconceptions about the podcasting world or about starting a new show that you would want to think a little harder on before getting started? Um, I didn't realize how the format would sort of calcify in a way just by virtue of needing to repeat it weekly and not having time to kind of rethink things from the ground up week in, week out. And some of the decisions that I thought would be, ah, we'll try this and see how it works and kind of like, you know, A-B test some different formats over the course of time that was really kind of my expectation at the beginning. That hasn't happened at all. It's like the, you know, the show format wise now is really the same as it was, you know, 200 some episodes ago. Can you lay out your format for us? Yeah, literally. I mean, I could tell you what the AIFF audio files are that I send to the editor every time to, to string me and them together. But yeah, I've got, I've got a short introduction where I say what the basic topic's going to be. I've got what I call this week in neuroscience, which is basically me dissecting and, and just regurgitating an article that has something to do with neuroscience that came out recently that I thought was interesting. I've got an audience sort of news and updates section. Like, you know, right now I'm, I'm in the midst of doing a week long water fast. So I'll say, Hey, you know, I've got this water fast coming up. If you want to do it with me, you know, here's the URL where you can sign up for our mailing list related to this thing, that kind of deal. I also have totally stole your format and read out to listener reviews every week because that encourages people to give more reviews. That is a, just a straight steal from your podcast. Then I go into an intro segment where I introduce the guests specifically and kind of go, a little bit deeper than I did in in the first minute of the show about what university this guy works at and you know what they've studied in the past what sort of you know science as a discipline owes to their past research and, and I sort of do a lot of podcasts I know that that do interviews kind of introduce the person when they're already there mid-conversation that always feels a little awkward to me plus the fact if i get something wrong then i'm getting it wrong in front of them so <laughs> i like to do the introduction on my own sweet time when they're not listening that way if i screw up a couple of times i can make sure i get it right and then drop into the interview which is the bulk of the show probably in any given episode about two-thirds of the show is the actual interview portion but i just drop it in somewhere interesting within the conversation as you alluded to, we don't just let the tape roll. We edit the hell out of the interviews. I'll talk with somebody for an hour and we'll come out of that with a, a 30 minute actual edited segment. Then we come out of that. We have uh, what I what I call the, the lead out segment, which is kind of a, a wrap up. If I have any sort of concluding thoughts of, of the conversation that we just had, I'll put them there. And then I go into what I call the ruthless listener retention gimmick, which is kind of a, a thing I dangle at the beginning. I, I should have mentioned this. <laughs> at the very beginning, I say, if you wait around until the end of the episode, I'm going to tell you about this fill in the blank, interesting thing, maybe a piece of like wonky science or something that's a little bit weird, but hopefully it's basically kind of like the audio equivalent of clickbait. But I put it at the end of the episode. Again, it's science related, but sometimes it's pretty out there stuff. 
Then there's a little outro that says, you know, here's the URL for this show. Here's what I talked about last week. Here's what I'm planning on talking about next week. See you. Come on back. And then we're out. Are there any other things now you're back to podcaster, consultant, Lawler, visiting with an earlier Jesse, a younger Jesse? He's looking for advice on what he can expect coming up the road. Is there any other things that you didn't expect to happen? You will become incredibly familiar with the way that your own voice sounds, and you'll become a better talker than you are now. I still have a ton of ums and ahs and all the stuff that I would edit out were I to be editing my speech for somebody else to listen to. But in a way, it's almost like punctuation in a way that it wasn't before. It just, you know, having that image of yourself or that audio of yourself reflected back at you gives you a much better idea of what you're conveying to the world. The real upsides of podcasting is being forced to hear yourself makes you realize, you know, what what a jerk you might sound like to the rest of the world and, and hopefully do some things to mitigate that. I've heard you say it before. It's certainly true of me. I go back and I listen to my early episodes and I'm just like, oh, cringe. But you know, hopefully that'll that'll be the case. You know, two hundred episodes in the future, I'll go back and listen to the episodes I'm doing now and and see that there's still improvements being made. I certainly hope so. Let's talk a little bit about business. Has the show been a good business for you? It has been an okay business today. Like honestly, I could be making more money doing other stuff, but could I be making significant money doing something that I enjoy as much as this and that I feel has the as yet untapped upside? Probably not. I mean, like it really is a really good fit in that this is not a business that I want to build and then sell to somebody else and, and just do an exit on. It's like I want to be doing smart drug smarts until I, you know, I'm an old graybeard bastard. Yeah, I, I see no reason why anything would make me stop doing it. The first two years that I was doing it, it was completely supported by the revenues from my software business and was, was just nothing but a cash drain. But it was something that I liked doing. It was like having a boat, basically. It was like having a boat. But the nice thing was like that gave me the latitude to work on just making a show that I liked and building the audience before I felt like I needed to, you know, hawk some product to, you know, make the show stand on its own two feet. It was a long time. I think we were probably about ninety episodes in or so before actually tying tying a product line to it. And so yeah, the, the product line actually it was July 9th of twenty fifteen. I remember the the product line's public debut birthday. So just over two years ago now. And the nice thing about supplements is it's a pretty predictable I mean it wasn't predictable until we had like the first month or two of sales. But after that, it became unlike the feast and famine that I was used to from my work in the software industry, where it would really depend on, you know, how long does this project take to complete? How much are you going to get paid for it? And you'd have some, you know, boom months and some bust months. And sometimes you would misquote a project. It would wind up being harder than you thought. And you'd wind up losing money on a project that you still had to deliver. That kind of sucks, but that never happens in the supplement industry. It's like, you know how much your cost of goods are, you know how much it's going to cost to ship to this country or that country. And, you know, every now and then you have a, a refund or a return. It's probably you know very similar for the people that are doing Amazon businesses, but the predictability has been nice. And the fact that the way to build this business is based on figuring simple things out that can be done to like make the whole you know, pipeline works smoother, that can scale better, and that it's not having to recreate the wheel each time I want a new check to come in. That's really nice. Because again, in the software world that I was, every new check required a lot of new actual thinking. Now, when I think about selling things on the show, there's a couple concerns. First off, you're selling ingestibles. The ingestibles 
No, it, it, it hasn't worried me because all the ingredients, the, the, between the two products, we've got 10 ingredients. They are all tested up the wazoo. That's a technical term. And, uh, you know, <laughs> science. You know, you could probably eat 10 times the amount that's given as the, the recommended daily allowance on the bottle and, you know, nothing bad would happen. You'd probably stay up way too late that night and maybe get diarrhea, but it's not like your brain's going to explode or anything like that. If you had like a soapbox episode, what would be some of the collective lessons that you've learned from these experts about the brain, about improving our performance? I guess the first thing I would say is that there's a whole lot of reason to be very optimistic about where medical science is going and overall understanding of the brain is going. I really think that, you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you boosted up too hard and your liver went out. You're going to you know, call up Amazon Medical and get a new liver delivered and you know, some little robot's going to come and snip you open and put it in. You'll be good as new in a couple of days. The reason you shouldn't be boozing it up, though, is because you'll also be damaging your brain. Like your liver, your knee, your pelvis, any of that stuff, I kind of feel like are going to be very solved problems because most of them are, are, are mechanical in nature. But the brain is still you know, the, the most confusing puzzle box that we have and will probably be the last thing that we figure out if we ever really do figure it out. So I, I feel like to take advantage of all the great potential future that is there in front of us, like just maintaining the health of your brain is should be first and foremost on everybody's mind. It's like, don't skimp there. It's like, get the extra sleep. Don't do the extra recreational drugs you're considering potentially doing if, if they have the you know, <laughs> risk of doing something bad to you. And, you know, m- make whatever investments you can in, in good brain health, whatever you decide that might be. And, you know, it's sort of a shifting landscape now as far as what the best brain health is. I mean, you know, a lot of people talk about ketogenic diets. A lot of people talk about meditation. There's science coming out about a lot of things some of which is at cross purposes and some of which is in in pretty good alignment. I think keeping your eye on sort of where the current consensus scientifically is, is really valuable because again, I'm a big believer that the world tends to get better. I, I would rather live now than 50 years ago. I would rather live 50 years ago than 50 years before that. And I have every reason to suspect that 50 years from now is going to be much awesomer than it is today. And I want to be around to see that. And I want to have as functional a brain as I can when that time comes. What are some of the mistakes that, because you know, you're sort of on the theoretical side on the show, looking at research, talking to academics and so on and experts, but the people that listen to your show, they're practitioners. Essentially what they want is to have a more fulfilling day at work. They want to get more important things done. And what are some of the mistakes that you see people making? I guess because, because the show has drugs in the title. A lot of people are looking for, you know, what pill should I take for the fix and don't like the idea that the pill is kind of the cherry on top of the cake, but basic good personal health and and lifestyle habits is kind of the cake. And, you know, adding the cherry when you don't have sort of the good structural foundation, I'm completely mixing metaphors here, but you get what I'm going for. (laughs) So I'm supposed to eat cake and then have the pill. (laughs) Lay some concrete and everything will be fine. Getting sufficient exercise, getting sufficient sleep, having a diet that is as low as toxins and probably as full of whole foods as possible. There are arguments to be made, I think, both for you know high vegetable and high fat diets, and sometimes people can get into fist fights over that conversation. Either way, everybody agrees that you know eating Cap'n Crunch for breakfast and Doritos for dinner is not the right way to go. And a lot of people don't want that message. I mean, they, they would rather hear that there's a magic pill you can take that will absolve you of all your biochemical sins and such a pill does not exist
Jesse, you have managed to grow and build a few successful businesses now, which is no small feat. I'm curious, what makes a podcast a good business? Or what are some things that you ought to consider if you want to make a living by podcasting? That's a great question for people like me who are building a business to support a podcast and not a podcast to support a business. Because it, it might be really different answers in those two cases. I definitely built a business to support the podcast. And I guess if your goal is that you want to be a podcaster and you want to have a business to support it, first and foremost, you really want to make sure that you're not going to get bored of your topic, that like your topic is going to be perennial for you. And I'm not sure exactly how you guarantee that, but it is probably something where you look at your personal history and see what you have continually been fascinated by and sort of has been a continuing theme of interest throughout your life. And then the other thing is, you know, don't fake it, be yourself and and like put yourself front and center so that not everybody's going to like you, but some people will. And you're going to be a whole lot more successful just trying to like continually hit the drumbeat of like, this is my personality, this is who I am, and wait for the kind of people that are going to like you to find you than you are trying to, you know, be a moving target and figure out, you know, what kind of personality do people want this month and, you know, continually sort of adjusting your public persona. I don't think many people are, are that good of actors. And I, I also think that, you know, trying to do the A-B testing of your own personality is probably not a good use of time. One of the sticking points that people might have if they want to follow suit and start a show is the difficulty of interviewing people. So is this something that was intimidating to you at all? Do you find it difficult or does it come naturally to you? It didn't feel difficult at the beginning. Like I wasn't quaking in my boots, but I feel a lot more comfortable doing it now. I feel a lot more comfortable now that I know I've got a, a certain skill set for it and people say, oh, you do a good interview. It's like, oh, okay. You, you hear that enough times and you're like, cool. I, I'm not making a fool of myself every time I go out there. And at the beginning, you just don't know. What do you come to the ring with? What's your prep? Well, I, I almost always have a bunch of reading material about what the, the research topics of that particular guest have been that are going to be relevant to the conversation that we're planning to have. So I'll have like a bullet list and I use something called Workflowy, workflowy.com. I uh, plug for that. I, I'm not paid to say this. I just, I love that as an online tool. Yet. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Workflowy. If you want to reach out and pay me, I'm willing to accept your money. But but it's it's just sort of a great nested bullet list thing. And so I'll, I'll put together a little workflowy document with, you know, here's, you know, 10 questions that I might have to knock off in some particular order. Every now and then a guest will say, hey, will you send a list of questions before we do the interview? And I always kind of grit my teeth and do it. I don't like doing that. Why? Well, because I don't like sticking to the format. I, I, if somebody says something that reminds me of something, I want to be able to interject a question right then. And, and oftentimes I do. Sometimes people might prepare too much as well if, if they have the questions in advance. Yeah, yeah, you can get the sense sometimes that people might be kind of like reading from a list of notes rather than going extemporaneously, which makes for a better conversation, I think, the extemporaneous version. I feel like just by putting in the reps of doing enough interviews, you get a sense of when things are getting boring, when you should change the topic, throw in another question. And again, because of the format that I have that, that I do allow myself to edit the interviews after the fact. I, I never really worry about you know going down a rabbit hole that might be unproductive because you just delete it in the end. Do you get the sense that your business of Smart Drug Smarts could be much bigger if you wanted it to be? And that because it's art and because there's these other values that are going on, like you're meeting all these really important people, you're making a name for yourself, you're learning a lot. There's so many things in the ecosystem of being a podcaster that's 
a lot more than how can I get these listeners to come buy stuff on my website? I feel like it could be a much bigger business than it is. And I would like to make it a bigger business than it is because I honestly, I feel like that it helps everybody, including myself. I mean, basically it helps. Let me clarify something too. This is a podcast that you can have a family, you can have a home. This is, this is a legitimate business. Yeah, I live in the USA. I have a house. I have a car. I have a, I have a hairless cat, actually, which was a the hairless cats aren't cheap. Hairless cats are not cheap, man. Yeah, it's not like going to the pound. The original question was this idea of because it's so much more than just a business. Does that prevent you at all from sort of maximizing it as a business? Yes, absolutely. If I wanted to whore my podcast out, I mean, I would certainly lose a lot of my my core listenership, but I could definitely kind of turn up the woo-woo dial, tell people a lot of shit that they would like to believe is true, but isn't necessarily backed up by science and and probably triple my listenership over the course of a year very, very easily. I would never do that because that's like fundamentally not what I want to be about. Like I think that purveying science to the world is like, I mean, that's like an evangelical mission for me. It's like, I think that the more scientists in the world, the better the place for all of us that the world will be. And like, I want to dispel any you know superstition and any sort of science poo-pooing and stuff because because i think that does us all a disservice it's like i love my clean drinking water i love my iphone i love the fact that we're talking for free over a wi-fi connection i mean we're each paying our wi-fi bills but i mean yeah essentially it's if you know free calls to anyone anywhere and i love the fact that things like youtube allow people like i can learn the skateboard tricks that this kid in missoula montana just came up with and like skateboarding even though nobody skateboards in Missoula, Montana, except this one guy just like gets exponentially better because everybody's able to cross pollinate everybody else's ideas. It's like technology does all that stuff for us by kind of you know doing my little part to bang the gong of scientific rationalism and self-improvement and tying those two things together. It's like that makes me feel like I'm, I'm justifying my place here on planet Earth in a way that earning you know, three times as much money by selling some stuff to people that shouldn't believe what I'm saying, but wind up believing it because it, it sounds nice. It's, it's not worth it. It's not a good trade. There's an idea that, you know, the future is upon us. It's just a little unevenly distributed. Yeah. Part of it's distributed on the episodes of your podcast. So what are some things that you're currently exposing your listeners to that we can get excited about as people that want to be healthy? Yeah. Well, honestly, I couldn't not mention that right now I'm on day five of a week-long water fast. I've, I've done a water fast for one week out of the last three years. And it's just a really interesting personal challenge. It's like it, at this point, it's my third time doing it. So it's I'm not concerned as to whether I'll be able to complete it, but you learn new things every time and and seeing like what your own relationship with food is, what your own relationship with motivational things, what you do to kind of like dangle the metaphorical carrot in front of you throughout your day is you just, you learn a ton of stuff. I got an interesting comment from one of the people that's on the, the chat forum that we're doing for the water fast yesterday. And he was saying how that basically keeping his mind stimulated with new learning with like something that he hasn't done before is a great way of distracting himself from hunger. That basically if you allow yourself to get bored, you suddenly realize, shit, I haven't eaten in three days or whatever. And, and that sucks. That's a bad situation. So what are some other things that you experience when you're on a water fast? I think almost nobody's done one if you look at the percentages. So why do people like yourself, why do you put yourself through what seems like a very painful ordeal? There's a couple of different reasons that one might want to do a fast of varying lengths. 
so intermittent fasting is something that you've probably talked about. And this is where people, they actually eat every day, but you just eat in a, in a tight window. You don't allow yourself to eat from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. You say, I'm only going to eat during this seven hour chunk of my day. Or for me personally, I've been doing about a five hour eating window for most of this year. So I'll have my first bite at about you know, six o'clock in the evening. And I try to get done with my eating by like 10 or 11, whenever dessert is. And then I don't have anything until six o'clock the next day. So I'll go all through my morning past lunchtime and, and into dinner time with nothing but black coffee. Now, I, I was made aware of this approach to eating by reading a Harvard medical researcher who suggested that although there wasn't a clear scientific study to suggest that you ought to eat this way, like unequivocally, that that was his guess that this was a practical approach to what exactly? What is the practical import for you? There's a lot of good like blood markers that change as a result of intermittent fasting. Basically, you're keeping your body trained to not just metabolize blood sugar, glucose, but to also metabolize the breakdown of fats. Because pretty much regardless of how big a dinner you have, if you don't have anything to eat, you know, the next day through breakfast and, you know, going on into lunch and you get a little bit of exercise during the day, at some point your body's going to say, wow, we're running on fumes here. We need to start breaking down some of this fat that you've got stored around your midsection or whatever and put some of this into the rotation. The breakdown products of fat are called ketone bodies. And basically the cells of your body can process ketone bodies alongside an equivalent to glucose. It's a different biochemical pathway, but it basically can operate on both types of fuel. Now, most people, they never run so low on blood sugar that they need to start using fat. And so then if they ever get in a situation where, shit, I can't eat for however many hours or I'm lost on a desert island or I need to, you know, run six miles at a stretch or something like that, then all of a sudden they run out of blood sugar and they're screwed because even though technically their genetics have the information about how to break down fat, it's like they've never done that. It's it's like if you own a book, but you've never cracked the cover on it, you don't really know what's in there. (laughs) But anyway, intermittent fasting kind of continually cross trains your body in, in a low level fat burning just every day. So because I've been doing this rather extreme intermittent fasting for the past six months, I've found this particular full fast that I'm doing now, this seven day fast to be a whole lot easier than it has been actually in past years. I think because I'm already what they call keto adapted, which basically means just my body is used to switching over into fat burning for a couple hours per day. And so doing the full like 100% switch, because at this point I'm like at, you know, minimal levels of blood sugar five days in, but the switchover has been a completely painless process because my body's just used to doing that. There are benefits to the intermittent fasting. There's one really interesting study that I saw that even with an eight hour eating window, so 16 hours fasting, eight hours eating throughout the day, people will see benefits to the amount of dopamine and serotonin. Those are two neurotransmitters. Dopamine is sort of a motivational neurotransmitter and serotonin tends to be related to mood and perception. So it's hard to paint with a broad brush and say exactly what those two do because they each do a lot of things. But basically, you want to have enough of them. You don't want your brain to to run dry on either uh, serotonin or dopamine. And so having a little bit of an uptick level as a result of doing the intermittent fasting, it's probably going to make you feel better. It's probably going to make you feel more motivated. Now, if you go to three days with no food, you've told your immune system, hey, I hate to alarm you, but we're starving to death. And so your immune system is like, okay, shit, we need, we need to handle this. If you get sick now, this is going to be a big problem. You could die. So 
we need to suddenly go through the, the roster of all our white blood cells and things like that, basically all the cells in the immune system, and find out which ones are kind of slackers and aren't carrying their weight, and we're just going to kill those guys. This is a process called autophagy, which basically means self-eating. And it's kind of like you know the Roman decimation of the legions where every 10th guy is killed. The immune system identifies the, the weak performers among the immune system cells, and they just get eaten. And basically the, the call goes out, hey, we need replacements for these, these lackluster performers. And so you kind of get what's called an immune system reboot by going three days with no food and of course you're, you're not really starving to death it's just kind of one of these cool little things you can do to to game the system of your body jesse there's someone listening to this podcast out there who is passionate about a topic area as you are as i am and they're thinking yeah atr 2100 microphone on amazon is now only 65 85 dollars whatever they are and that technology maybe 10 years ago would have cost a great deal more and would have been inconvenient to travel with as you pointed out now you can have a show and like you sound professional but i can see on your video monitor that you've invested 85 dollars into it the sound paneling <laughs> on the wall behind me that was at least another 85 dollars. so we're up to like 170 ish now maybe 200 so most of the things that are standing between that person and starting their own show exists between the headphones, so to speak. So what's some uh, maybe some insight or advice or encouragement that you, you could offer to them? You will absolutely positively get better. Like your, your 10th episode will be oodles better than your first episode and your 20th episode will be oodles better than your 10th. And like, unless you just put in the time to, to do it, you'll never know how high you could go. You'll never know what the upside is. I would have had no idea... Yeah, I'm a pretty optimistic guy, but if you'd asked me to bet on my podcast five years ago, you know, whether I would be able to live off it now and, and have it be this thing that still had, you know, what feels like unlimited upside five years in, dude, I like I probably would have been too conservative to bet on myself, and here I am. Here you are. I hope you'll come back. So thanks for joining us, Jesse. We appreciate it. I definitely will. Thank you. The show notes, links, and transcript of everything that happened in this episode will be posted at tropicalmba.com slash curiosity. Hmm. I'm curious. You are curious. You're a curious fellow. What are your thoughts on this episode? One is that I think smart drug smarts, by the way, very hard to say, Jesse, for me especially. This ain't so bad. Impressive <laughs> what Jesse's been able to accomplish. Totally. I got a question for you, Dan. If somebody is thinking about pursuing their curiosity or somebody is thinking about pursuing their passion, how long do you think that they should be interested in that passion before they try and pursue it in a way like Jesse did with Smart Drug Smart? So let me tell you what my fear is. All right. Because I've met this guy and this girl plenty of times. This person, they get interested in woodworking. They collect a bunch of tools. They buy a bunch of stuff. They buy a bunch of stuff. They create half a piece of furniture. Should this person go start a podcast? This is their passion, right? They've been interested in it for six months. Well, the question is, is what are you sacrificing here, right? Are you sacrificing beers out with the boys on Friday night? Are you sacrificing cleaning your car the second time that week? I mean, look, you don't really have much to lose here. This is what I love about it. So so what if you start a podcast and it doesn't go that well? Maybe you got a chance to speak to nine or 10 experts for free on the phone that would otherwise charge you consulting or not pick up your phone calls. And you got to know that, hey, carpenters are all a bunch of a-holes. <laughs> I don't want to be in the carpentry industry. F that. 
So I don't think there's a lot to lose here, man. But I do think, you know, there's an interesting intersection here of things that you're interested in, but also things that have a large addressable and profitable audience. That might be actually more interesting, right? Here's where a lot of people get shipped up, myself included, is that they're really interested in something, but there's no money there. So it just happens to be that what Jesse is really interested in is a huge addressable market, and there's millions and millions of dollars flowing around that industry. Yeah. And you know, for the interests that don't have a market, I, I wouldn't be as inclined to start a show. But look, there's no downside. It depends. So what do you give it up here? There's always value to me in like expressing your thoughts and getting fascinated about something. And here's an outlet that it could potentially turn into something much bigger for your life. In terms of networking and the opportunities that come out from things like a podcast, it's hard to express the people that we've met through this show and the relationships that have come out of this show. I think people probably think we have some friends and we have some speaking gigs and we have some, we've met some speakers to the show and things like that. And there's a whole community on the backside of this show, which is called the Dynamite Circle. And that definitely represents a large amount of people that are listening to this show. But Outside of that, I have met, geez, at least 50 people that I would call friends now that are experts in their fields that I have close relationships with. There is no way that we could have done that through the business that we previously owned. These relationships to me are, are invaluable. And there's no way that I could have done it sitting by myself building the business that we were building before. So just to say that the opportunities that arise from producing a show and having a show like this are quite amazing. I'm on that bandwagon. All right. <laughs> TropicalMBA.com slash curiosity. Thanks for joining us. We will be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And one quick plug at the end here. We have a sponsorship opportunities coming up later in the summer for this podcast and for our event in Bangkok, which would be pretty cool if you want to join us in style, get eyeballs on your company let us know about it at tropicalmba.com slash sponsors. Yep. How do you like that? Like it a lot. Didn't even write that down. I just said that. You're getting a be pro, man. <laughs> All right, boss, man. I'll see you next week. See you then. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.